0: This episode is sponsored by OnePlus. OnePlus brings innovation and imagination to the world of smartphones, portable audio, and more. We made this episode in partnership with OnePlus because of our shared fascination with spatial audio. Now, this episode is just like any other, where we had full creative control over the story, and I know you'll love it as much as I do. In addition to our main story, during the break, you'll also hear about how OnePlus has incorporated spatial audio into their new groundbreaking Buds Pro 2 earbuds. Here we go. It's June 1942, at the height of World War II. A British bomber plane is flying over the south of England, but it isn't carrying weapons. Instead, it's carrying a new radar system. Several engineers are on board to test it, including a man named Alan Blumlein. Alan is just 38 years old, but he's already worked on tons of innovative projects. And if this radar works, it could help the Allies win the war. But this is one project that Allen won't complete because an hour after takeoff, the plane crashes. There are no survivors. Prime Minister Winston Churchill says that Allen's death must be kept a secret. The enemy cannot know that Britain has lost one of its best engineers. Because of Churchill's orders, Allen's name is quickly forgotten. And so are many of his inventions, including another revolutionary idea. Stereo sound. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. Alan Blumlein was born in London in 1903, He went to different schools. That's Simon Blumline, Alan's son.
1: Some of which were quite free schools and didn't
0: press him to do work. Despite not being pushed at school, Alan quickly showed his engineering talent.
1: The doorbell on their house broke. And he repaired it at the age of seven.
0: For his handiwork, young Alan issued an invoice to his father.
1: He got a lot of engineering encouragement from his father.
0: Although he was brilliant with numbers and mechanical things, Alan sometimes struggled with words. Here's his wife Doreen in a BBC interview from the 90s.
2: He couldn't read properly at all until he was about 12. So I said, but you couldn't read properly if you were 12. He said, no, but I knew a lot of quadratic equations.
0: That talent for equations took him to college, where he managed to finish his degree in just two years. After that, Alan started to work at a company called Standard Telephones and Cables. His first invention for them involved fixing an issue with telephone lines.
1: At the time, there could be crosstalk between the different circuits.
0: Crosstalk is where you could hear someone else's conversation when you were using the phone.
2: Here's a few sandwiches short of a I picnic
1: So he had to find a solution. And with clever engineering, he got rid of a lot of it. So will it be bubble and squeak for supper then, love?
0: But some of his greatest inventions were in the field of Music In the late 1920s, he joined the Columbia Graphophone Company, which later became EMI Records. His first task was to create an electronic recording system.
1: The electrical recording system was the thing of the moment, because before that, everybody had to speak into horns.
0: These were big megaphones that captured sound
1: and it's very difficult getting a whole orchestra
0: in front of a horn. At the time, EMI didn't have their own electronic recording system. Instead, they used one created by RCA in the United States. That meant that they had to pay royalties on every single vinyl record they made. So to get around this, they reached out to Alan.
1: And he went into the interview and he heard all what was required and said, yes, I can do it, but I
0: don't think you'll be able to afford my salary. So EMI doubled their offer, and within two months, Alan had created a new electronic recording system.
1: And therefore, they managed to stop paying the royalties.
0: Alan's electronic recording system was impressive. But his next invention would change music forever. If we can capture Richmond now, it
1: means the end of the war. Oh, thank thank he took my mother one day to the cinema and he said to her Do you notice that as this person talking on the screen moves across the screen, the sound stays in one position?
0: That observation gave him an idea, and soon enough, he applied for a patent.
1: Binaurals, what he called it, but we nowadays call it stereo.
0: Allen's idea was revolutionary. It allowed vinyl records, movies, and even radio to have two soundtracks rather than one. In movies, Alan's system recorded sound information on either side of the film strip, one side for the left audio channel and one side for the right. This created a more immersive experience. Suddenly, a character's voice and footsteps could follow them as they moved across the screen. Here's a recording of Alan testing his stereo system in his office at EMI. Now I'm walking
2: across pretty quickly. going over to the other side. Coming over quite steadily on full-bind Coming right over steadily on full-bind Drop, you get that all right? Yes, I can get Good, thank you.
0: For vinyl records, Allen's system cut different patterns on each side of the groove. Then, one side of the needle picked up the left channel, while the other side picked up the right. Now, each instrument could have its own space, creating much more clarity and depth. To this day, vinyl records work the exact same way. Then came the biggest test yet recording a full orchestra at EMI's brand new Abbey Road Studio. For that, the London Philharmonic Orchestra performed Mozart's Jupiter Symphony. The improvement over mono was obvious. Here's the mono version they recorded at the same time. And now back to stereo. His fellow engineers were amazed, but the managers at EMI didn't recognize the potential. The company was selling tons of mono records, so why should they switch to stereo? On the other hand, there was a new medium that they did believe in, television. And the BBC had just contracted them to make Britain's first television system. So as their top engineer, EMI put Alan in charge of taking them into the televised age. To test this new equipment, he had a television installed in his home. Then he filmed himself from his office and broadcast the images to his family. Here's his wife Doreen. He
2: would ring me up and say, Hold the telephone, darling, and look in the set. Now tell me what you could see. This is early television. And I'd say, Well, I can see the smoke from your pipe. Of course, he was never departed from his pipe,
0: except in bed. After three years of research and testing, Alan and his colleagues were ready. The first ever BBC television broadcast took place in late 1936.
2: Hello everyone, this is Elizabeth Carroll introducing a BBC television service program from Alexander Paris. This afternoon, our program includes a marionette show, newsreel, and ballet.
0: Alan also invented the wiring used for outdoor broadcasts. That got its first trial during the coronation of King George VI in 1937. I can
1: see the king and queen buying at their subjects as they go by. The queen is smiling at us now. And they they look incredible. They look like something out of
0: a picture book. Although he was only one year old at the time, Alan's son Simon got to watch on television at home.
1: I don't remember a thing about it, but I was there. There was only 3,000 sets in 1937, and they reckon 10,000 people saw it.
0: Alan kept on working on television technology until the beginning of World War II in 1939. But the BBC worried that the television transmitter could help aid the enemy's navigation systems. So, as the war started, they shut down all television broadcasts. Not long after that, Allen joined the government's H-2S radar project. That was a kind of radar that could be carried on board bomber planes.
1: Churchill demanded 200 sets of this H-2S system. It can see through clouds and the bomber could get a picture of the site that they want a bomb.
0: The project was top secret, and not even his family knew what he was working on. Here's Doreen Blumline.
2: And when the war started, he said to me, I shall not be telling you anything of what I'm doing, because I'm not allowed to speak about it.
0: Allen and his team spent 18 months developing the H-2S radar system. By June 1942, they were ready for a test flight. Alan decided that he wanted to take part.
1: In the end, 11 people got on board, and my father was able to see the results.
0: The radar system worked just as they hoped. All of that hard work had paid off. But sadly...
1: On the way back, a starboard engine caught fire. The pilot was desperately looking for somewhere to land the plane before the fire got worse.
0: The pilot tried to land the plane safely, but ended up crashing.
1: All 11 on board
0: was killed. Simon was only six at the time, but he still remembers that day.
1: Our house was at the end of the row. I walked on into the house and there was Mama crying her eyes out.
0: Since the H2S project was top secret, Winston Churchill ordered that no one should be able to know about the crash. As a result, only Allen's family heard about his death, and that had a huge impact on his legacy.
1: Because nothing had been written, there was no recognition in the country.
0: Alan's tragic death meant that he never got the recognition he deserved during his lifetime. But over the next couple of decades, people slowly started to rediscover his inventions, including stereo. In the early 60s, a full 30 years after Alan had developed it, stereo sound was finally installed at Abbey Road Studios. And that system found its way into the hands of an exciting young band. That's coming up after the break. Right now, you can only hear this podcast in stereo. So I can be in your left ear or over here in your right ear. If you want more than that, you'll need a lot more speakers. In my case, here in my studio, I'm surrounded by 12 speakers. That means I can be totally immersed in 3D sound. But what if you could get that 3D experience from two little earbuds? Enter the Buds Pro 2 from OnePlus. Thanks to their exclusive technology, you can take spatial audio everywhere. Whether you're out and about, watching a movie on your laptop, or preparing dinner, you can be immersed in 3D audio. Here's Charles Wang, audio product manager at OnePlus.
1: It feels like I am in the center of a concert hall, with the sound of different instruments and vocals coming from various directions around me. And that's a really incredibly immersive experience. But all these things come from little tiny earbuds.
0: This immersive feel is possible thanks to OnePlus's partnership with Google.
1: We're the very first company that integrated Google's spatial audio function, developed for Android 13 and which creates the multidimensional sound experience with a tiny pair of earbuds. And it's as close to reality as it's possible to get.
0: The Buds Pro 2 also feature incredible noise cancellation, up to 48 decibels of reduction, which is totally wild. Essentially, what that means is you can take a noisy place like this (laughs) and turn it into something like this. That means you can hear your music, movies, and shows with all the nuance and detail that they deserve. And as for the track you're listening to right now, it was created specifically for the Buds Pro 2 by a world-famous composer whose work I adore. To find out who it is, stick around until after the credits. You don't want to miss it. Congratulations to Michael Hennessy for correctly guessing last episode's mystery sound. Cookie. That's John Lennon imitating Cookie Monster from Sesame Street during his 1970 song, Hold On. The show had started airing just a year before and John had a fondness for this wacky character. The cookie reference appears again in Ringo's song, Early 1970, where he fondly recalls each of his bandmates following the breakup of the Beatles. And here's this episode's mystery sound. If you know what that sound is, submit your guess at the web address mystery.20k.org. Anyone who guesses it right will be entered to win a super soft 20,000 hertz t-shirt. By the way... We just launched a brand new online store featuring our classic super soft shirts, but also 20k hoodies, hats, and more. We have lots of ideas for more designs coming in the near future. To see the new store, head to 20k.org shop or tap the link in the show notes. That's 20k.org shop. The first sound recording machine that could also play back that sound was invented in 1877 by Thomas Edison. In his first recording, Edison chose to read Mary Had a Little Lamb. Unfortunately, that recording is lost, but here's one from just a year later, featuring that same nursery rhyme. That recording was in mono, which meant it only had a single channel of audio.
3: Mono was actually how everything started. My name is Robin Rumors. I'm mainly a mixing engineer based out of Miami.
0: Robin has worked with all kinds of artists, including Spanish pop icon Alejandro Sanz, Canadian singer-songwriter Alessia Cara, as well as Queen's legendary guitarist Brian May. Robin also lectures at the Abbey Road Institute, a school for music producers. There, he teaches students how to work with all kinds of audio, including mono recordings. So with
3: mono you have a single speaker, which is your main sound source. All of the sounds, like for example your guitars, your bass, your drums, your vocals. would all come from a single speaker. So you would put everything in one place and you would balance the instruments. When you're mixing a mono, it really forces you to focus on making sure that yeah your mix translates and does what it needs to do.
0: The downside is that everything can start to sound crowded. It's like all the instruments are trying to squeeze through one door and they end up getting squashed. Alan Blumline's stereo system was one solution to the problem. But he wasn't the only person trying alternatives. Walt Disney also thought that audio could be recorded on multiple channels. So for the 1940 film Fantasia, his team created a system they called Fantasound. First, Disney engineers placed 30 microphones around the orchestra, the audio was then recorded onto tape machines in the basement below. The result was a recording that could have up to seven channels. Fantasound was incredible, but it was also expensive, complicated, and unreliable. As a result, Fantasound was only featured at special screenings of Fantasia, and it wasn't used on any other Disney films. Then, in the late 1950s, engineers at Bell Labs invented their own stereo system, or at least they thought they had. They didn't realize that Alan Blumline had invented stereo almost 30 years before. Here's one of Alan's colleagues recalling how he broke the news to the team at Bell Labs. And then he turned around and said, well, that's impossible because, you
1: see, we've got patents on all this. I then laid Line's patent on the table. <laughs> and there was dead silence for about five minutes. They didn't even know it existed.
0: But once stereo caught on, it started to be installed in studios. One of the first to have it was Abbey Road in London. And one of the first bands to record with it was a little group called The Beatles.
1: Said these words to my girl.
0: The Beatles were known for being innovative in the studio, but this new technology confused them at first. The Beatles, for example,
3: they initially thought, OK, we have two speakers, so let's put the drums in one and put the bass in the other and then the vocals in the left one again.
0: As a result, the original stereo mixes of their albums sound a little strange to modern ears. For example, here's what their song Girl originally sounded like in stereo. The vocals are panned all the way to the right and the instruments all the way to the left.
3: There's a very famous story about Paul McCartney. I mean, I have to kind of paraphrase, but he said that basically they had taken their mix that they had done where they had half of the instruments in one speaker and half in the other. And he went to a party, and they basically had two speakers, and one was in one room and one was in the other. And when he was listening to the music, he was like, hey, half of my instruments are gone. At which point he realized, like, maybe it's not such a good idea to do, like, the hard
0: pan because you don't know how people are going to end up consuming the music. Perhaps this approach isn't surprising, because mixing in stereo is different from mixing in mono—
3: When you open it up to stereo, of course, you have to think about more possibilities. You have to think, oh, now I have left, right, what do I place where? And it makes you think differently about the mix process.
0: But over time, people learn to make the most of stereo. In general, people like to use the full stereo spectrum.
3: Most of the key lead
0: instruments
3: are typically pan in the middle, like vocal, kick, snare, bass. And then all the other instruments, like a piano, can be on the left, guitar on the right, or vice versa. So, for example, you might start a song off that is very intimate and very like narrow, as in most things in the middle. But then when the chorus hits, you want to open up the sound. And that's when you can have more instruments pan left or right. So you start having a lot more possibilities.
0: Eventually, the Beatles remixed their early stereo albums in a more conventional way. Here's that recording of Girl in its original stereo format. Is
1: there anybody going to listen to my story All about the girl who came to stay
0: And here's the remix
1: She's the kind of girl you want so much it makes you sorry Still you don't regret a single day
0: Now, from here on out, all of the examples we play will be in stereo. That's because, even if you're listening on a multi-speaker system, the MP3 format used by podcasts only has two channels of audio. Womp womp. But stereo wasn't the end of the story, because in the early 70s came quadraphonic, which featured four sound channels. You have rear left, front left, front right, and rear right. Early artists to use quadraphonic included the birds with Bird Maniacs. Pink Floyd also released a quadraphonic version of Dark Side of the Moon. But quadraphonic albums were expensive to make and were designed to be played on a special turntable. If you played them on a normal deck, they would often skip. Skip, 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 skip. So quadraphonic was eventually left behind and music stayed in stereo. But in the late 70s, the movie industry was experimenting with something new. Surround sound.
3: that was really like a, a major push and all the movie theaters converted to having surround sound.
0: Although different studios used different systems, they were all based on having five audio channels.
3: It would be left, center, right, left surround, which would be you know in the back, and then right surround. So those are your five main channels that kind of change in the infrastructure would come from the movie theater owners. And it was a consensus of like, we want to up the quality of the experience.
0: One of the first directors to use surround sound was Francis Ford Coppola with Apocalypse Now. Coppola wanted his epic war story to have an equally epic soundtrack. There was only one problem. When he started the project in 1974, movie theaters didn't have surround sound yet. But Coppola had a solution for that. Here's the film's sound designer, Walter Murch, in a 2006 documentary. At a certain point, Francis decided that the film was only going to be shown in one theater. Uh, It was going to be a specially built, constructed theater that would be erected in the geographic center of the United States, somewhere in Kansas. And uh, it would just show this film only, and the film would run for 10 years, and it would be a fantastic cinematic experience, sort of like going to Mount Rushmore, you'd go to see this film. In the end, the film took so long to make that movie theaters caught up with Coppola's ideas. In 1979, Apocalypse Now was released in surround sound across the United States. The following year, it won the Oscar for Best Sound. Audiences loved the immersive feel of surround sound, and before long, it was everywhere. Almost every blockbuster in the 1980s used it, from The Empire Strikes Back. Your destiny lies with me, Skywalker. To Batman. Batman,
1: can you hear me? Just the two of us, mano e
0: While surround sound was impressive, it's actually not what we associate with movie theaters today. The next evolution that really caught on was 5.1. 5.1 came along in the early 90s, and it had six channels of audio rather than five. That might not sound like a big change, but that 0.1 makes a huge difference.
3: The way it works is that the first number is your main speakers, and then the 0.1 is your LFE, your low-frequency effects.
0: That extra channel of bass audio created the punch that we now associate with the big cinematic experience.
3: Jurassic Park was the first movie where they incorporated that low frequency channel to basically have the rumble of the dinosaurs and make that come through in cinema.
0: This low-frequency channel also made it possible to create our old friend, the king of modern movie trailers, the bouge, As well as its cousin, the Bois. But there were still more channels of audio to come. We had speakers all around us, but not above us. That all changed in the early 2010s,
3: The next evolution is object-based audio where you're no longer limited by a set number of speakers, but instead what you do is you create objects. So every object is a mono audio file and it comes with location information. So for example, I can have a lead vocal and it has x, y, and z coordinates. So you can place it in the 3D sphere, and that then gets translated by the renderer to the amount of speakers that your system has. So if you have a speaker system that has 128 speakers, it will render it differently than when you have a speaker system that has 5.1 speakers. So you have a lot more creative freedom when it comes to mixing.
0: There are several object-based audio systems, but the most famous one is Dolby Atmos, and the first movie to use it was Pixar's Brave in 2012. Who defended our land from the northern
1: invaders and, with his own sword, <laughs> stabbed blood. Vanquished a thousand fold.
0: <laughs> Now, every blockbuster has some version of it. Until recently, it seemed like immersive audio was everywhere, except in music. When it comes to music, there wasn't really that
3: like global consensus of, oh, we should all consume music in 5.1 or 7.1 or whatever the format is. I think most people were happy with what they had in stereo.
0: Part of the problem was that spatial audio was expensive. You had to have multiple speakers as well as a device that could render that audio. But then headphones were developed that recreated the effect of having 128 speakers with just two. The science behind this is a little complicated, but let's demonstrate. Normally, with old-fashioned stereo headphones, the sound arrives in your left ear. But with spatial audio headphones, the sound arrives in your left ear, and then, with a slight delay, in your right ear. This simulates how we actually hear audio in real life. By using this, and a few other clever tricks, spatial audio headphones manage to overcome having just two channels. As a result, musicians are now experimenting with object-based spatial audio. For example, Disney star Olivia Rodrigo's 2021 album, Sour, was mixed in spatial audio. and And Hollywood legend Hans Zimmer remixed his track, Lost But One, from the movie Rush, for this new technology. Spatial audio has already revolutionized the way we experience movies, games, and now music. But we've only scratched the surface of what's possible.
3: I think the possibilities are just endless. I told you earlier on the story of Paul McCartney when they were just discovering stereo and panning something left and panning something right. I feel like when it comes to immersive audio, we're still kind of at that stage. Like everybody's still exploring, experimenting, finding out what works, what doesn't work. So I think it's a very exciting time to be
0: doing this. But none of it would be possible without that first step taken by Alan Blumline back in the 1930s.
1: He said that he was so lucky to be where he was because there were so many things that needed solving. He just loved getting the solution.
0: And for Simon, restoring his dad's legacy has been his lifelong project.
1: It's been my aim in life ever since I lost my father. Looking back on his life, I know my father so well now.
0: In 2017, something totally unexpected happened. The Recording Academy of the United States gave Alan a posthumous Grammy for his work, and Simon was there to collect the prize.
1: It was a wonderful occasion. And I held it up and said, I've waited 75 years for this recognition of my father. Daddy, this is yours. It was the shortest speech and it got the biggest
0: applause. 20,000 Hertz is produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. Find out more at DeFactoSound.com. This episode was written and produced by Andrew Anderson. who is was story edited by Casey Emmerling. With help from Grace East. It was sound designed and mixed by Colin DeVarney. And Brandon Pratt. Thanks to OnePlus for making this episode possible. And thanks to our guests, Simon Blumline and Robin Rumors. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening. Remember that music track we played earlier? That was composed by the one and only Hans Zimmer. Now, if you're not sure who Hans Zimmer is, there's a good chance you know his music. He's scored tons of blockbusters like Dune, Top Gun Maverick, the Dark Knight Trilogy, Inception, and the original Lion King. Hans also created a custom track specifically for the Buds Pro 2. He rearranged his song Lost But One from the movie Rush so it feels like you're right there in Hans's studio. Not only that, but the OnePlus Buds Pro 2 are equipped with an optional master EQ tuned by Hans himself. But while you're listening, there's one sound you definitely don't want to hear.
2: Battery low.
0: That's why the Buds Pro 2 earbuds have a super long battery life. They can last up to 39 hours, and you can get 10 hours of battery on just a 10-minute charge. Android users can get 20% off the OnePlus Buds Pro 2 in the OnePlus Store app with exclusive code STOREAPP20. That's S-T-O-R-E-A-P-P-2-0. And finally, thanks again to OnePlus for bringing you this episode. It really means a lot to us to have a partner as passionate about sound as we are. OnePlus understands the emotional impact that sound can make. Improve your personal sound world by heading to OnePlus.com.